Hello, everybody. This is Ricky, and you're listening to River City Church Talks, where we will take a deeper dive into the happenings, the coming ups, and the yets to be. Join me as I sit down with our pastors, ministers, and leaders and talk River City. Today, I'm joined by our senior pastors, Jason and Natalie Powers. How are y'all today? Good. I won't speak for her, but I am fantastic. Great. Are y'all ready for summer? We're already in it. I'm a little more allergic than I usually am during summer. I feel very nasally full in my head, but not in the good way. I'm good. I'm ready. I'm here. I'm for it. I'm in it. <laughs> All of it. All of it. All of it. Y'all have uh, three kids. Three kids. Yep. Jackson, Reagan, and Madison. Uh, Jackson turned 16 last week. Reagan Congratulations. Is, yeah, it's very excited. Uh, Reagan is 13 and Madison is 11. They are going into 11th, 8th, and 6th grade. Oh, wow. Yep. So a high schooler, two middle schoolers. Yep. It's a, it's a it's new better. world. Yeah, it's better. We uh, Last year, we were at three different schools, so we were driving around, carting. It felt like our entire life was in a car, uh, in a car on, yeah, in traffic and all that. So, And yeah. your kids live pretty busy lives. I mean, y'all Super are busy. pretty everywhere. So how yeah. do y'all make room for your children as well as a full-time ministry job here at the church? There has to be a, a balance that y'all have. Oh, well, it, when, when they were little, we were really good at saying okay, we're going to be home four nights a week and, you know, we'll say no to, to everything outside of that. Um, and then they they grew up and they're in sports and now you can't say no to that. So um, so what we, we, we kind of look at it as though when we're all together, though, that's our family time. Yeah, we... Whether we're at a sports event or not, right? Yeah, what I was going to say is we put our kids first. Like the way that we do all that is we put them first. But uh, I reject outright the idea that, um, well, let me say it it this way. We put our kids first, not just what they want, but what they need and what is best for them. And so all of those component parts go into making them who they need to be. So we do a lot of... Uh, my son Jackson plays baseball, so we do a lot of baseball. We make sure that we don't only do baseball, and so we look at the church stuff as a um, as a vital part of their growing up. Yeah. So when we say we put our kids first, what we mean is we walk with our kids and help them understand that life is more than just baseball, school, church, social life. It's all of those yeah. things in the right place and in the right perspective. So. I don't think raising my, I, I don't feel a tension between, oh, well, do we do baseball or do we do church? Because we do both yeah. of those right, things. Right. Yeah. We, we, it's not like church is the leftover or baseball's um, not the leftover. Or baseball is the yeah. leftover. You know, it's, yeah, it's just equally all a part of our lives. And sometimes we have to say no to, yes, to an extra baseball tournament. And sometimes mom doesn't lead worship so she can go watch the baseball tournament. Right. So, or we get yeah. Jackson a ride to, to the yeah. games, right? Yeah. Because I want them to be, we want them to be well balanced and we want them to see God and church, not as something that takes from their life, but as something that, right. that contributes to their life. That is, um, that you don't adds, want them to um, regret church in their you know, yeah. when they get older, because that's all they did. Yeah. You know, yeah. They, they had to be at church at six in the morning because mom was doing worship yeah. or dad was preaching or whatnot. I think that's a, a I think y'all have raised very well-rounded children, you know, have, haven't been around them since Madison was born, since Reagan yeah. was like 
two and Jackson was six to see the growth in them, not only as, uh, you know, Christians, which is amazing to see because the model that, you know, the church is giving them because of the leadership that you prove and the leadership that you give Natalie as well. It, you, you can't, um, you see the truth of what God has called us to do in in them, mm. you know, he's called us to love. He's called us to, you know, be that light. And I see that in the kids and that's just an amazing Testament um, to both of y'all. Thank but you. let's dive in a little, yeah. little back. Mm-hmm. How did you meet? <laughs> <clears throat> well, um, so Jason and I are seven years apart. I don't know if a lot of people know that. So um, when I, when we met, we were at River City he was the youth pastor at River City Community Church in San Antonio. I'd been there for just like four or five months. And so yeah. uh, at the time, I think there was only, uh, I think there were only four staff pastors. It was the, the, the lead pastor, the associate pastor, children's pastor, and me as youth pastor. And so we kind of wore a bunch of different hats. And one of my responsibilities was um, to do, we had the little connection card, right? Little response card. So my job was to do follow-up phone calls for anybody like 25 and under, right? So that kind of the college youth group, whatever. So, yeah. So I had, I visited the church. I moved here from Houston and was, my mom was going to this church, River City. And um, so I went to church with her and I filled out a connection card like everybody does and wanted to join a small group. And it's funny that you think everybody fills out a connection card. Well, okay. Well, you know, if you're listening to this, you should fill out a connection (laughs) card. Um, so I did cause I wanted to get involved and, um, and I was, I was 20, 19, 19 or 20. I can't remember now. 19. You were 19. When you, yeah, I was when you 19. And so I, you know, saw that they had a college group, want to join it. He gives me a call and he says, I'm Jason Powers. I'm the youth pastor at River City and I'm calling to get, to give you more information about this college group. And so he tells me all about it and and he says, well, what are you, you know, what do you do? What are your gifts? What's your, you know, have you been? Now tell me about yourself. What do you like? Yeah, tell me about yourself. I'm like, well, I, I, I like to sing. And um, at my church in Houston, I, you know, I led, I did worship and I didn't lead worship, but I, I was on their worship team. And so that was all, that's all I knew at that point was like, I sing. And so he says, over the phone, by the way, he never says, met, never, never met me, her. never heard me, nothing. And he says, you should come lead our youth worship band. That's you should a come terrible, yes. terrible strategy. Yeah. Because, well, what happened was then I went into uh, my pastor at the time, my boss, and I was like, hey, I met this new girl and I invited her to come be the, the worship leader. And he's like, oh, so she can sing? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. know. I've never heard her. <laughs> he's like, well, she plays an instrument. I don't think so, but again, nope. I've never heard her. And his eyes got like saucers. Like it, he was like, "You can't just do that." Yeah. And while I knew that in my heart, at the moment, I was like, "I think I said something like, you just wait.'" Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, walked out, and then yeah. Well, and 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 then a little bit after that, I tried out for the adult worship team, and Sean Azaro was, you know, the one who auditioned me, and he. He was like, okay, you can do this now, you know. So I made fun of him. But I was like, you made, yeah. have to have like a face-to-face meeting with people to understand them. I am able to I can discern, discern who they yeah, are. I know the who phone. they are. I just so, know. So, so after fun. that, for like six months, Jason did not 
pay any attention to oh, me. Oh, he ghosted you. He, so here's the thing, though. This is an important part, I, and I love to tell this. She hates when I tell this. So we had this phone conversation. We talked. I think we talked for for quite a while, and, and it, it was like, well, hey, well, I'd love to, I'd love to meet you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just to help you get connected, just see who it works. We had a great conversation. I, so uh, I'm the youth pastor. She's 19 years old. She's barely older than people that are really in my youth group. So this really is a pastoral connection. I want to help her get plugged in and get connected. And so I always tell this story. So I walked in it. So at the time uh, there was a girl in my youth group who was a volleyball player. She was very tall, uh, but she was kind of insecure about it. So she slouched over and she hunched over. And so I saw that and I kind of think, well, I walk in to my office and Natalie is there waiting for me, waiting to meet me. And she has got, she's tall (laughs) She's got large wedge heels and she is standing rod straight, man. Like, and I, and I remember, I, I, I remember like, that's awesome. It struck me and it impacted me that she had the confidence. Yes, but, yes, but still you, you didn't, you, there was no like noticing Natalie. I wasn't I like in a place Natalie. where I, I like, <laughs> okay, so this is a, so I had just graduated from college and while I was in college, I was, I was volunteering as in youth ministry. I was, uh, I was a volunteer at hope, kind of led the high school thing or whatever. And so when I graduated from college, I went on a mission trip. And at the time when I left, we went to Germany and on the, at the time, uh, I had met a girl online. This was, uh, 2001 AOL. It was a long, it, <laughs> yeah, know. it was like, it was, it dial was definitely up. dial up. Um, and so I had met a girl online who lived in Canada. I literally, I actually had the Canadian girlfriend, right? Everybody like that. Sure you do. Right. Yeah. No, but I actually had, right. And so, um, we were going and I graduated from college and I knew, you know, and I was going on this mission trip or whatever. And she had written me a letter for every day that I was going to go. And she handed it to uh-huh. She. It was, yeah, it was a sweet thing. It was, it was very kind and generous or whatever. And so I get off the plane and, I'm in Germany and and I take out the first letter on, but I'm holding the, uh, I'm holding the envelope in my hand. And before I open it, I just come to realize like, I really am not interested in anything that she has to say. And it wasn't, it, it was, it wasn't anything about her over the next several days, you know, and you're on a mission trip, right? We're out of the routine. We're praying, we're walking along. I really felt like the Lord's it, I, not audible voice, but I felt very clearly that this next season is about, getting me ready for ministry. I knew I was supposed to go to ministry, but I wasn't on staff yet. This was June of 2002. So I wasn't on staff yet, but I knew I was going to be in youth ministry. And so we went and I, at that point on this Germany trip, it's June, 2002. Um, I feel very clearly like I am not allowed to, I'm not supposed to focus on uh, finding a romantic relationship. Now I'm 27 at the time. Right. And so 26, 26 as uh, 26. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to say my biological clock was ticking, but it, it was getting ready to quick. Right. Like we were winding it. Right. And so, um, you so know, she says point, I, I ignored her. I really felt like I didn't have permission from God. Like that was a thing that I wasn't allowed to focus on at that time. I was supposed to learn how to be a pastor and learn how to be in ministry. Plus she like, she not young. to overplay it. She was young. <laughs> she was, she was there. Truly there were, well, her best friend at the time was a girl that was still in my youth ministry and they were six months apart or whatever. And so I was just like, I'm not not going to go down that. Yeah. I'm not that guy. We're not going to, we're not going to do that. And so it did take a minute for, for me to really see her as to even, to even be open to the idea that she could represent that. Although I will say my first impression of her, well, it lingers to this day. Like it was 
it was a crystal clear first impression. So it's like the Lord knew, like there was a, there was a hint. I just, I just wasn't allowed to walk that way. Well, right. Natalie knew, I mean, the Lord oh, knew. She's smarter than Natalie me. knew. Well, yeah. And so, no, but yeah. Anyway, so that's how we met. We met at the church and he asked me on a date, you know, a year, a year after God told him to wait to, to focus on yeah. uh, another girl. But the whole time but now he, we were being friends, you, you volunteered. You were volunteering yes. in the youth ministry. You helped with girls. We I were in a small group together. I I was leading work. I was singing. Sorry, I was singing on the adult worship team. I was getting really involved in the church. And Jason's brother Aaron and I were really good friends. And so we we started developing that relationship. And then um, Jason's brother was getting married. And and I went to that wedding. And that after the day after that wedding, Jason called and asked me to go on a date. Okay, so here's the deal, though. So this is, so we're at this wedding. It's in Sherman, Texas. My sister-in-law is from Sherman. Um, And so uh, her name is Brianna. Me and Brianna were friends before I knew Nat, before really she knew Aaron. So she was a volunteer in youth ministry kind of at the same time I was where. And so we created a friendship, but it was always just a friendship. Like it it really was. And so she meets my brother. They get engaged. We drive up to Sherman, which is north of Dallas. It's almost in Oklahoma. uh, And we're... And we're out there. And so Natalie comes up with a bunch. And at this time I'm in the adult ministry. My brother's a youth pastor, right? Nope. You were still I was still youth pastor. pastor. Yep. Okay. So, um, so all these youth drive up to go, to go see it happen. And there, and so we're in this reception hall afterwards or whatever. And, and I look across the room and there's Natalie. She's like part of the house party. She's cutting the cake or whatever. And it's it really, punch. she's serving punch. <laughs> there's actually a picture of this, yep. like this moment. I just um, found it there. And so, it literally is like I'm looking across the room and it's like the scales fall off. And she gets so mad when I say this. But really, it, the thought in my head was like, oh my gosh, that is a girl. Like, and a really pretty one. Like I, right. And so was it was it re- like in West Side Story where everything goes blurry. So much so. It really it really was like we were, at, I mean, it was my brother's big day and I was so happy for him. But but I really was like, I I found yeah, the one. I Yeah, I found her. And so we go back and I'm clueless. I We go back to... Uh, we get back home and pretty quick after that, yeah, we go on a date and I, I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm terrible. No, it was a great date. He just brought me home at, uh, we went to like a wedding, we went to dinner and a wedding. So it was a Saturday <laughs> night. She always just throws Your first date was a wedding? Our first date was a wedding and it was, um. With two dinners. And it was, you know, kind of like a four o'clock wedding. And so he. Or I guess it was like a six o'clock wedding. So he picked me up and we it went to dinner. It was at the San Francisco Steakhouse. But you know, I'm I'm just so excited that, that Jason Powers asked me out. Yeah. Like oh, it was on. a big no, it was a big deal. My mom and I like we went and bought a new dress and all that stuff. And I so the dress. it had so, fans on it. It was white. No, it didn't. Red. It had flowers on it. Oh, but it looked like it, fans. It, like fans. black. Yeah, yeah, it looked like fans. So so he picks me up. We go out to eat at Alamo Cafe. At Cafe, you know the best tortillas ever. Um, debatable. Yeah. Well, and cheese, but, um, so we go, we eat dinner and we go to this wedding and it's a sit down dinner at, yeah, the old San San Francisco. Yeah. So we didn't eat there obviously. And we leave, we kind of leave right after the ceremony and he's like, okay, let's go get ice cream. So we, you know, that's what youth pastors do. So we go get ice cream (laughs) at marble slab which was our, good it's still our favorite, but um, we go get that and it's like seven 30 and I'm thinking like, okay, it's the tell best this date. And it is, it's still the best date, 
But then he drives me home. Why did he drive you home at seven? Because now, I'm he not had gonna, to get up early the next day. It was Saturday night. I'm oh, a youth pastor. Yeah. It's a work night, it's right? Church. It's yeah. a work night. So I take her home. I'm driving home going, well, that's the best date I've been on in a very, very long. Like, this is really good. Natalie, however. Yeah, I go in and my mom looks at me. I'm living, are you home? I'm living with my mom. She goes, why are you home? What did you do? <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. But, you know, the rest is history. But I will say this for anyone who knows Jason over however long, if you're if you're friends with us and you ask us to do something on Saturday nights, you know that Jason typically turns down those invitations because Sunday's an early morning. So anything after eight, eight o'clock, it's just not happening. Right. So, yeah. And there's a lot of mental preparation that goes in onto yeah. a you oh, know, yeah. Sunday morning. Yeah. And you preach three sermons every Sunday. Um mm-hmm. I wasn't at the time. I was doing two at a time. We had two youth services. We had a junior high and a high school youth service. Yeah, but he, yeah, but. Yeah. I've transitioned. Mean, oh, we've transitioned. Yeah. Good. That's good. <laughs> I'm with you, buddy. Keep me coming. That's yeah. good. So you preach three Sundays, uh, three times so on the Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Um, what is that process like for you? Uh, the preaching part or the creation, the content creation, all of that. Let's talk about that Sunday morning. What, okay. what, what do you, what are your routines? What do you go through? Uh, I usually wake up. And I go and I go slow and I try not to do anything too kind of heady in the morning. Um, I just, I get awake. Right. And I'll do, uh, I'll do a quiet time. I'm always kind of Sundays is easy. I'm kind of always kind of walking around in prayer, like, like, okay. And a lot of my prayer on that is, okay, how am I feeling right now? Because that's going to come to bear, right? Like if I am, uh, if I go to bed angry or frustrated, whatever, if the kids are crazy or if me and Natalie go to bed tense or whatever, I have to be very careful because if I wake up angry, um, that has a way of working out through your speech, right? Jesus, right? Out right. of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so I have to pay extra attention to what I'm feeling. And I think particular, particularly anger and fear come out and they they tend to be kind of nonspecific and cover, but they can tint any conversation, right? So I'm just kind of paying attention as I get up until I'm kind of fully awake and we get the kids up. Natalie generally leaves the house before I do because she goes to worship. And so I kind of get out and come up and sit in my office uh, and I just go over my notes a couple of times. And again, at, at that point, I, I know it. I, I don't memorize the outline, anything like that, but I, I know what I'm trying to say. So as I read over it again, I really am I'm just praying like, all right, Lord, are there are there stories that need to be told? Who who needs to hear this? Who's going to hear this? What, what do you do? So I'm sitting in my office really kind of just praying over it, kind of going over the notes. I'll make some last minute adjustments. But really, 8 o'clock, 8.15-ish on Sunday morning, I, I really try not to over-prepare because then my brain, it just like it's a flywheel. It's, it's out of control. And so I kind of try to manage that. Um, and eight o'clock is really the first time that I've said all the things out loud. It's the place where that movement from my head to my mouth kind of happens. And so, uh, Are you talking about eight 30, what did I say? Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Yeah. yeah. We don't do anything at eight o'clock, just study, but eight 30. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of going through and then I stay out and talk to people and pray. And I try to come up and give myself 10 or 15 minutes just to kind of go over it again. What worked, what didn't work, where did I feel bogged down? I'm really not, I'm not good at all critical at being critical. And I don't mean like in a negative critical, you know what I mean? But like what worked, what didn't work, how did it flow? I just, I just know that I say what I wanted to say, that I feel like I said what, what needed to be said. Um, And then I kind of tweak a little bit. And second service is kind of based on that third service. I'm usually, I'm very tired. 
mostly, um, but I've got I've got it all down pat. So right. third service tends to stretch out a little bit, a little bit more, just because I don't have to work as hard to have it right there. And that's for better and for worse. Yeah, it could uh, be super long or it could... It, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And it... Um, Children's ministry loves you, third service. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, I feel like probably third service is my most engaged, but it can be longer and less focused as well. Um, the, the, you know, the second service is great just because it's usually really full. Right. And so there's just energy in the Do room. Do you feel you can hide a little bit more because the room is full? Um, or is it more you, the, the feeding off of the room yeah, because it's I'm, more energized? Yeah. I am way more conscious during second service because I get drawn into energy and I'll go off and I'll say things that, um, I process externally a lot. Right, That's right. why it's so important for me. Like I know people, preachers that like they, they do most of their preparation like Friday and Saturday. There's no way I could do that because uh, I'm still working it out. Like as I go through it, I've pro- by the time I get to Sunday, eight thirty Sunday morning, I've probably gone through my outline 20 times. Like right. I just like, I know it. Right. Yeah. And so I, I'm able to not get too far away. Um, but you also, you kind of, um, process by, by, yeah, like the crowd, like, Oh, for sure. Who's in the room. Um, that's why second service know. makes me nervous. If I, because if I'm sitting there and, and I say something that's not the main thing and it resonates, it's, uh, and you can feel it, right. People sit up, people laugh, they clap that whatever it's those there's, squirrel moments. Yes. There's <laughs> every temptation in the world for me to just go, Oh, well let's stay there because that. Because yeah. that feels good, right? And, and write a sermon on the fly. Yes, and that's not good, right? Because there's something that I need to say. And listen, and this is the thing. Every sermon that I ever preach at some level, and sometimes more, sometimes less, my conviction is, well, a couple. One, this isn't my word. This is not about what I want to say to them. That's the first thing. The second thing is not my people, not my word. No, that's it. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, we um, instituted kind of a call and response, which is not normal for a non-denominational church. It's very liturgical. It's our liturgy, but, yeah. Yeah, um, which I completely enjoy because, you know, growing up in the multiple multiple churches that I grew up, one of them was a Methodist church, and you kind of did that. So our our, our saying, our, our, our mantra is badly broken, deeply loved. What does that mean to y'all? Um, well, you know— I mean, I think the way that Jason's always, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the way that Jason's uh, given the the given life to it or given a, a vision for it is exactly how I see it and how, and what I when I say it, it's like you truly take it to heart. You know, you, the, Jason says we are badly broken, and the congregation says, and, and as, as a response, we are deeply loved. And the idea being that um, you can't you can't not say that you're badly broken. You can't not say, you can't say that you're deeply loved without saying you're badly broken because um, it's a, it's a confession. Like to me, it's the confession and the, and the acceptance of God's love. You're confessing I'm badly broken because I, without you, God, like it doesn't, none of this, I, I have nothing. And then receiving, but I am deeply loved that covers all of that. And so for me, like that's the power behind it is, is the confession part of it with a humble spirit and then also the receiving of God's love, the knowing that, that God loves us. So uh, I actually saw that on Twitter. 
where it came from. Uh, there was a guy, and I don't want to find it. I want to give the. I want to finally give this guy credit. Uh, I'll find it in just a second. Anyway, it was just he put one time. Uh, I am badly broken yet deeply loved. Is the way that he said it. Um, okay, I saw it and it's great. And then I followed it again. I saw it the next day, and it and it and it, and it became almost a Twitter liturgy at the time because every time I would see it, it was just like it's it stuck with me right. And I was um, I, I was. I don't remember what I was reading at that time, but it was, but it was a lot about just kind of liturgy and how, you know, the power of repetition and meditation and all of that. And so I thought, man, if there's one thing that I need to, that I need to know, like, and just be reminded of every day is, is that right. For me, the resonance is love because I was not good. I did not, I grew up around church all the time, but I manipulated church. I will use church to make me look good. I, you know, I went, and, and again, like I did all of the things, right. I, I preached in youth service. I did all of the stuff. I was on all the teams, all of that stuff. I was right. But, um, church wasn't talking about anything that I cared about at the time. Right. And so I, I did all of the motions. I went, I went through all of the stuff, but I live, I bad. And when, by the time I went to college, I was totally off the rails. And so my coming back to the Lord when I was 25 or 26 really put me in a position where I have to now process, what do I do with all of this stuff? Right. And for me, the stuff was sin, right? Like, what do I do with my, with my rebellion, with my far away? Right. And so I, um, you know, and this was, yeah. 10 or 12 years into our, into my, my journey that I found that. And that was the deal for me. Like, no, I am badly broken. And I, and I still, to this day, right? Like that's the thing that, that I, I don't ever want to escape from being badly broken. It's uncomfortable. I don't like to process. I don't like to deal with it. But if there's one thing I think the church could, could really like lean into is like, we currently in our current state are badly broken and prone to all kinds of, of, of nonsense and, and creating hardships and, and hurting people. Like we, we, we do it all the time. Right. And so the hope is that once I, for me, the hope is that once I get comfortable saying, yeah, but I'm broken, it will be easier for me to confess when I hurt someone and they go, Hey, you hurt me. I'll go, Oh yeah, I'm broken. Right. I'm broken. The part that was healing for me was the love part, right? Because I needed to contend with that my brokenness doesn't exclude me from God's love. And I knew because my brokenness was right and center. My, and I'm not going to project anything on a Natalie, but one of the things I see for her is Natalie has never struggled. And I'm, this is going to be an overstatement. Okay. Comparatively speaking, relative to me, Natalie has never struggled with, with righteousness. Natalie's always been good. She's always right. She's, she had a job. She was a, you know, she was a, she's a great daughter. She's, she's all of these things. Right all kinds of reasons why Natalie deserves to be loved. But there are sometimes I used to tell Natalie this. I still do from time to time. I was like, you just need a hardcore drug addiction in your past. Like I had, you just need some kind of hardcore drug addiction in your past to remind you daily of the frailty of, of humanity. And what I say is because if I, if I say I'm broken, but I neglect the love part, well, that's just like this crushing legalism that doesn't, that doesn't advance you. And it doesn't bring you to Jesus. It's just condemnation. And I think a lot of people in the church live with that, right? Like they just can't contend with love. On the other hand, if we can embrace love without like owning the brokenness part and not brokenness, like as a past. And I know there's, there's all kinds of theological gray area in this, right? Like we are redeemed. We are covered in the blood. We are righteous before we do have all that stuff, but 
Paul at the end of his life and his ministry said, I'm chief of sinners. I'm not going to let him off the hook of that. I think he, I think he really believed that because he had come to terms with it. So if we remember the love without the brokenness, well, that leads to, you know, that leads to self-righteousness. And so in this badly broken, deeply loved thing, as we, as a congregation, we're saying it to each other. I'm my job as a pastor is sometimes to remind us as a church, Hey, we're broken. Hey, we don't do it right. Whatever everybody else may think or say, we don't always do it right. And their job as a congregation is to remind me, yeah, but we are loved. Don't you forget that Jesus loves me. However you may in your you know, human frailty or whatever, however you may be feeling right now, as you get ready to preach this word, you need to remember we are deeply loved by Jesus. Uh, and that is grace and peace. So I would say grace and peace to you at the end. If, if there's one thing that I wish would, and I think it does to a large degree, badly broken, deeply loved is, is, is the story for me. That like, like that's the one. And so I don't ever want to stop pushing on brokenness and I don't ever want to stop pushing on love because we have to have both of them. That's good. That's really, really good. So let's change topics here. Tell me something that you think Natalie is true that almost nobody agrees with you. Like Chick-fil-A is the best chicken out there. Oh, Okay. Like, are we going like real deep here? You could take it deep if you want, but I was hoping for something more something, controversial okay. like Chick-fil-A. Something that I think is true. You're stirring true. the pot right now, Ricky. Oh, Rick, I know. This is loaded. Yeah. Something that I think is true that no one else, that no one else, Jason, uh, thinks is not true, correct? Okay. Um, hmm. Gosh, Jason, I have, okay. Jason, I have a lot of these. <laughs> we are very opposite in so many ways. Chick-fil-A being one of them, although over the last couple of years, he's come around. Don't. Okay. No. He has not come around. He, You like. I don't. You like certain things. You like the cool wraps. You like Chick-fil-A sauce. Chick-fil-A sauce is like. You it's like. Mayonnaise and mustard You and like the spicy sauce. chicken. You like the spicy chicken. No, no. What, okay. You no. do. <laughs> yes, you do. I, I will eat those. Don't. See, that. like you're drawing. Okay, but like I will not. I won't go to a restaurant that I don't like to and get something. And well, you go to these you go to Chick-fil-A and get something. Do you know when the last Deluxe. Do you know when the last time I went to Chick-fil-A without you or one of my children in the car was? The next time that I go will be the first time that I go to Chick-fil-A by myself. Well, you're, I will you're go an when amazing person. I well <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that, but no, I, there's there's listen, here's the thing with Chick-fil-A. No, this was my truth. I'm just saying I know, I know. You think it's overpriced, right? It's just okay. Oh my gosh, no. Okay, moving on from the chicken. What okay. what other thing? Okay. You stirred this pot, Rick. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, hmm. So I okay, here's one. I really love to eat outside. I love like I I love the atmosphere. I love a, a good restaurant patio. Go sit outside. It's at, it's night, you know, I don't want to go sit outside in the middle of the day or whatever, but like we're on the river or something. I want to sit outside. I love going to green and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Love that. Jason and some other people that I know can't stand patios sit, sit, sitting. So you'd eating. like sitting outside on patios in Texas. I do. And eating your dinner. Yes. Like at night, like when it's kind of cooler and. When it's a breeze. When is it cooler, cooler outside at night? I, just I don't do. see that's the difference. Like I don't it, think it eighty-seven March. degrees with sixty percent humidity is not cooler. I mean, it's cooler, February, but it's not cool. March, April, May is good. So it's patio good. sitting out, 
eating dinner. So anyway, if you agree with Natalie, leave a comment down below. <laughs> Do you like to sit out on a patio and eat your dinner? Or would you rather be in the nice cold air conditioning inside to eat your dinner? So transitioning once again, we are almost hitting the 10 year mark of when River City Church, <sighs> as it is now, that? has come about. I still remember the meeting that um, I had with you, Jason, at that Bill Miller's barbecue on three double nine. I was lucky enough to be one of the first people to know that this was going to happen. The first, the first non staff, non Natalie, you were the first person not named powers or Azaro or Mayfield. Right. It was, it was an, it, it, it shocked me to be honest, because, you know, I have been with river city since, almost the beginning of when it was planted by um, River City Community Church. And I've seen many iterations of this church. Um, as a pastor now, in, in this time, what would you have told yourself back then? It's a good question. Oh, man, the list of things I didn't know 10 years ago is very long. Slow down. <laughs> That's what I would have slow told down is Slow down is part of it. Um, man, I don't know if it's, I, I think... I I needed to wrestle with before I got here. I needed to wrestle with my um with my identity. Like I needed to know that I was a person apart from apart from my job. I was 35 years old and I, so I was young and and I was it was this really great and an amazing opportunity, but it was hard. I had to learn and we as a church had to learn and so there was a lot of conflict at first, um, a lot of conflict and resolution. And I think we did a pretty good job of handling it. Um, I got, my heart got really beat up in the process and that's not anybody else's fault. That's not anybody else's fault, but mine, I am, you know, if I have kind of a, of an inherent perspective weakness, it tends to be kind of that, that people pleasing kind of deal. And it manifests different. I think Natalie and I both, both have that. I, I don't, I'm not easily swayed or <laughs> swerved from a course of action, but, um, yeah, I carry arrow. I, I get arrows in my heart. I get very, I get very sad and I feel betrayed and I, you know, I feel all that. And I think that's work that I could have done on the front end to just to come to terms and make peace with the idea that just because a person disagrees with me, doesn't mean that they don't like me or accept of me, accept me. And even beyond that, if a person doesn't like me or accept me, doesn't mean that I lack value as a person, which is really like, that's the gospel, right? Like that, like that's the whole, the whole thing that we do is, you know, there's the old song, right? Turn your eyes to Jesus, turn your eyes on Jesus and the things of the world will grow strangely dim. That's, that's the idea, right? Like if, when I came to have that, that clear sense of Jesus's face, right? Where he just goes, man, I, you are badly broken and you are deeply loved. So just go do what's in, go do what's in front of you. Um, so that that's if I were going to go back and say something to ten years ago to, to myself, I think it would be probably along the lines of "You're badly broken and deeply loved." Natalie, what would you tell yourself if you could? Probably along the same same lines. I think you know, no one can prepare you. Um, you know, this kind of thing. I mean, being a pastor is is a lot of work, and it's um, it's like. You pour your soul, your whole, your whole soul, your your whole self into it, and so um, I think that we had people who were good at, you know, mentors and things that were good, had done this before, and were good at at saying, you know, you're going to get through this. There's going to be hard times and all that, but 
no one can really prepare you for that. And so that's why I think it's so important at such, and I was, I mean, we're seven years apart, so I was 29, yeah, 29, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm 39, so I was 29 when we moved here. And uh, I wish that I had had someone who said, okay, do the deep work, like do the really deep heart work, the stuff that that you haven't dealt with, you know, all like like Jason said, the people pleasing stuff, um, all of that, because, um, you know, in a church, and our church has grown so much in ten years. There's pe- people's lives. There's so much that people walk through already, and so you're you're pastoring people through these things, and it's not it's not our responsibility to fix them, but you're you're walking with people through all of it, and. I think that um, if I had known, A, it's not your responsibility to fix them, um, and B, like when you when there where are things that happen and there are hurts that happen, like you have to work through those. Those are your responsibility to work through those things. And so, anyway, I wish someone would have said, do the do the hard hard work because, and 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 even. One that's not a pastor. If you start a business, if you if you are you know the CEO of a company or whatever, and you look back ten years, there's going to be lots of things. It impacts your marriage. It impacts your parenting. Um, it impacts your friendships. Like there's all different kinds of things that that I think that I look back on and go, man, I I do wish that we had done some of the personal stuff different. You know gotten more gone to counseling earlier things like that you know so but natalie's not saying i don't know that i've ever actually said this before natalie and i came here from very different places when i was when i left river city i was an associate pastor i was um i was part of the executive team uh and i oversaw basically all adult ministries i was doing there what basically what nick fox is doing here, but it was very much a, um, you know, it was a little bit up front. I would do opening and closing of the services, but for the most part, it was a lot of kind of organization, organizational leadership stuff. Right. So I came here and basically started and it was a, um, promotion is it promotion isn't the right word, but it was definitely a different looking position. Like it was moving from behind the scenes to the front, the church that we came from at river city in San Antonio, Natalie was leading worship every week for 1500 people. Um, she was on stage all the time and really good and really effective. And so she was seeing every, I, I was like dried up. The Lord was moving me, right? Like, and so I was feeling dried up, but I'm just watching my wife just be overwhelmingly fruitful and have this really unbelievable ministry. And then, so when we move here, like she gave up everything, she gave up everything to come and do this. And we were 80 people. And she led worship at first, but she did uh, a million other things. One of the most remarkable things is she stopped being the worship leader after about five years. We were about four or five years. She stopped being the worship leader to go be the children's pastor because it was a need because it wasn't there. And she just jumped in and, and, and gave what she had. And again, she moved out of the spotlight off of the stage where obviously she has an incredible gift, an incredible singing voice, and an incredible ability to help people worship. And she went and did what was necessary and what was needed. And so in a lot of ways, Natalie's move here was significantly more difficult than mine. Like it took a step of faith for both of us because we didn't have jobs, right? And we didn't know whether there was going to be any money or not. Purely in terms of ministry function, uh, Natalie gave up 
way more than I did, way more than I did. And uh, so that was a difficulty that I don't know that I've ever, I don't know that I've ever said that to you. Um, it but, makes me emotional. <laughs> well, it, I, I mean, I, I knew it and I knew she's given, she's giving all this and she went in a hundred and ten. Natalie is always, Natalie has faith. She knows hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like she, the question that she wants to know is, is God doing this? Cause if, if God's doing this, then let's go, let's go. I, like I'm yeah. fine and I'll figure it out and it'll, and it'll have to work out. And so in consequence, what she's seen is even though maybe at the time, you know, she was worshiping for more people over here. I think there's an excitement and a sense about what God is doing here about her leading worship. And so the reminder for us is, and this is one of those things that it's not hypothetical for me. God puts back. God is not a taker. It doesn't mean that he doesn't ever take anything away. It doesn't mean that there's not a season where he says, no, that's not for now. And it may be that's not forever. And we don't know that in the moment, but what we can know for sure is if the, whatever the Lord takes away, it doesn't, diminish you. It increases you. It it makes you, it makes you better. And I don't know that I've learned that from watching her. Right. And, and I don't know that I could have learned that. I don't know that there's more, a a more elegant example than, than that of what, of what that's about. And it's been this great deal because I think that's, that's the picture. And it's, I probably told that story to other people. I'm sorry. You're the last one to know. (laughs) I've told, I told this to other people because it really is an important thing. Like, man, if, if the Lord has called you to something, you got to say yes. I would, I guess I could say that too, Ricky, is if on tag teaming with, with that, if I were to go back again, and if I were to tell myself or someone who's going to start this process, it would be if to remind yourself over and over again, like write it down that God has called you to it. He's called, if it doesn't matter what you're doing in life, like if he's called you to be a teacher, if he's called you to stay home, if he's called you to start a new company or whatever. Does that mean that there are days in your life that you, have to do things that you don't like, don't want to, yes. aren't good at. <laughs> a lot of days. So, so yeah, there's a lot of days of doing the things that you never saw yourself doing, right. doing the things that you probably won't do in 10 years, you know? But, but like if God has, if you know God has called you to do it and that's, and it's, and you, and it's been confirmed and all of that, then you need to write it down and you need to read that over and over and over again and remind yourself. That's it. When I, you know, I would change what I said earlier. If I could go back 10 years and tell myself, that's what I would tell myself. My job, my call, not my job, my calling is to be a pastor and a pastor is, um, it is, it's shepherd, right? It's the the, the pastoral, right? Um, and so it is caring for the flock. It is feeding. Like you can see on my whiteboard right there, right? Like my thing is feed my sheep, feed my sheep. That's it. And the hard thing about this job is, the feed the sheep is the most public kind of part, right? It's the part that you see. And it is, it is minuscule in terms of time that, that is required. And what I would tell myself 10 years ago is lean into the pastoral part and give the organizational leadership stuff away. Because um, at the end of the day, I'm not going to die and go to heaven. And Jesus is going to go, man, I'm really glad you built a big church. He's going to go, were you faithful? Did you do what I asked you to do? And Um, and I don't, I said it 10 years ago, but I don't know that I grasped it. Like I do now. Um, I would rather, I I, want the thing that fires me up right now is people are experiencing Jesus. Right. Um, and that is the pastoral part that, that, and I believe that a well-run organization, uh, is vital and vital and crucial to that. But 
it's important to keep those things in the right place, the right not balance, the right. Yeah. yeah. Not put the cart before the right. horse. Right. So t- 10 years ago when y'all came aboard, it was just y'all. Y'all were the, the pastors, the custodians, the children's ministers, the everything. Yep. Now moving forward 10 years, we have a staff of, I think 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. I want one word that describes the staff. I'm going to say a name and you just say the first word that you think that staff mm-hmm. member represents. Okay. Nick Fox. Bald. <laughs> was that not? Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It was, it was a lot. I just, it, it, you know, he does say that he's the shorter. He more is. Handsome. He's many, <laughs> shorter, more handsome. Yeah. As my brother say, uh, the difference between Aaron and I is that uh, I went bald from front to back and he went bald from back to front. Yeah, yeah that's. Well, I was going to, the first word that came to my mind was smart. That uh, was truly. All kidding aside for Nick. Right. Uh, the word for Nick is loyal. Yeah. Um, Nick is, um, yeah, Nick is a guy that you want in a foxhole. And that's, I think what makes him, a, this is more than one word. This <laughs> is one, off, this is off, one Jason word. Like you, yes, you know, no, I, yeah. I've, I've come to know the Jason <laughs> yeah, words. Okay. No, uh, loyalty is the thing about Nick. Nick and I, we, um, Nick and I were on staff over at the other church. I was Nick's coach. Actually, I was his, his boss. Um, and because I wasn't in a very good place emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever. It did not go well. I I handled Nick very poorly, very poorly. The reason, (laughs) the reason that we are able to work like we are today is 100% because of Nick's loyalty. And he is a person of grace. Uh, That, that would be the one I would take Nick, Nick to battle for sure. Sharon Hall. Hilarious. Fun. Jamie Adams. There's so many words. Friend. Very hard. Jamie's the one that, um, she, one word. <laughs> this is one Jason word. What is that? Like to the Lord, a day is worth a thousand years. I would say, years okay, I, I have so many words, but committed, Compl- definitely like the most committed person. It's so hard because I say friend about Jamie. That doesn't mean Nick's not my friend or Sharon's not my friend. They're all my well, friends. But it, he said you had to do it like shoot off the top of your hip. So. And for those that don't know, Sharon Hall is our children's pastor, yes. and then Jamie is our early childhood minister. Minister, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm going to change my word. Sharon is fun, um, but I have watched Sharon. I don't know only one word. It's one okay. word. It's I, okay. can't, I can't say anything in one word. Um, we know. I have watched, over this year, I have watched Sharon be, uh, well, over her entire time here, incredibly tough. And I don't know that you would get tough from looking at her because she's always smiling and she's so creative and thoughtful and all that. And she is all of those things. Uh, that girl has the heart of a, of a warrior. Yeah. Um, she is a, a credit and a tribute to, uh, to this team and to the kingdom for sure. Desiree Fussell. My word for Desiree is. My word for Desiree is faithful. Mm, that's, a, that's really good. I know. Words is my thing what I do. You could share words, you know. Yeah. Faithful. You can say faithful, faithful for sure. I but see, I want to like expand on that. But anyway, go ahead. Susan Letcher. The word I'm thinking of for Susan is, is intentional, but that's not that's not oh you know what positive enough. I know mine. Integrity. Yeah. Because Susan really Susan is like she is truth and she's a seeker of of truth. Yeah. And she doesn't stray from that. I mean, integrity is, is, is incredibly important to her, but it's also lived out. She will, she's yeah. Integrity. Um, 
it's funny, like as, as the list goes on and I think, I think about, uh, you know, I'm just like, man, I want to use the word tough for Desiree and for, for Susan for all that. So I, I really am, you know, kind of starting to see maybe where there are, where there are threads, the thing for Susan, um, and this is something that I uniquely, Susan works, she's our uh, executive director of operations. And so she works very closely with me, right? She brings um, administration and order um, and operation to, to my life, which I definitely need. Uh, and the thing that I would say about Susan is Susan wants me to win. Um, and she measures her wins by my wins. And, and, and I don't mean that in like a code in like a codependent way. I mean it in a truly like, uh, self-sacrificial, loving team player kind of way. She right. is very good at what she does. Um, she is very much complementary opposite, uh, opposite to me. You know what I mean? Like she's yeah. strong in all the ways that I'm weak. Um, but I never feel like Susan resents me for being weak in the areas that I'm weak. She, she's grateful for those because she sees that that's an opportunity for her to do what's best. Is that, okay. Was that more than one? Yes, word? it is. It but is. it was it makes good. me laugh because we have something like that for every single person. Okay, but I do need to go back to Desiree. I know a word. Okay. Okay. Did you just get on? I'm just. I'm sitting here. They no. can't see you. You're looking at a thesaurus on I your d- phone, aren't you? Because I. Okay. This is just. Yes or no? Yes, you uh, are. For me, it would be. She is like. She's strong. Desiree. Yes. Because there's a lot. There's just a lot to her and and a lot of life that she's lived. And so she definitely is. Yeah. Serena. Serena, go get her. That's two words, but go get her. Um, she does. She's intentional. Maybe. I say um, the word I'm going to use for Serena. I have to explain it because no, it's you like, don't. Well, I do. The, my word for Serena is young. And what I mean by that is um, she represents, she is our, our millennial representation. Um, and I care very much about that. And, uh, and so Serena, she's our accountant, but she sits at the table because she brings a unique perspective and she is in a very short time, um, placed a great deal of trust in us that she'll say, she'll tell like, that ain't it. Yeah, that ain't it. And I'm, and I really am very grateful for that because I believe that she's bought into what's going on here. She loves what, what God is doing. She's definitely a part of it. Um, and she, she has taken that mantle of speaking for, you know, the, the, the interests of young people her age. I'm very grateful for Serena. Oscar. Consistent. Handsome. Handsome. Strong. Oh my gosh, stop. Um, Trevor Leland. Deep. Handsome. <laughs> Strong. <laughs> wow. Trevor's deep. He's got a good beard. Um, um, no. Uh, <laughs> you should have kept going. You should have kept going. Uh, Trevor's authentic. Uh, the word I would use for Trevor is authentic. And you're sticking with handsome and strong for Oscar. Handsome. You know what else for Oscar? Kind. He just has like such a kind disposition and always has. Yeah. But I'm going to do better for Oscar. Um, I think Oscar's a peacemaker. Yeah. Does that, does that, uh, is that, I mean, I think, do you know what I'm trying to say? On his strengths finder, he's, he's a relator. That's one of his strengths is he's relator and he's very, and he's empathy, he's empathy too. So he's very good at, being able to be on your get to be where you're at. Like he can go into to your space and be able to, I guess that's what, yeah, I guess that's kind of like what I mean. Like he is, uh, he is just as comfortable and engaging talking to, um, Gary Gilbert, who's 24 or talking to Mike Coyne, who is a little bit older talking to me about 
biblical things or David Harris about the Beatles, right? He's just, he is comfortable with people. Um, right. and that, and that, so he can sit at a table with people from different perspectives and view and, and everybody will be drawn to, uh, drawn to Oscar for sure. I am also, he's very handsome. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Gary Gilbert. He's a hard worker, man. He is. And, um, and I, I, I would... so admire that. And a guy, and a guy is, cause he, he doesn't just work hard. He's our, he helps facilities. He sets up and tears down. It's a hard, thankless, invisible job. And his, uh, and his girlfriend, Emma helps as well. Fantastic. So he works hard doing that. Also, he's a great guitar player who taught himself mm-hmm. and he taught himself how to play the drums this year. And so like he just, when he sits down to do something, he just, you know, you're getting the best that Gary has to offer in every situation. And right. yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Gary's a gold mine. That's my word. Gold mine. Gold mine. That's a good one. That's a good one. Last but not least, me. <sighs> Be nice. Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. The first word that comes to mind with Ricky is devoted. Um, like it's more than committed. It's like Ricky has devoted his life to this ministry. Have I said friend yet? You did. Who did I say friend about? Jamie. But you can still have. Two friends. You can have multiple friends. <laughs> yeah, but I want Ricky and Jamie both to have something unique. That that's the idea though. Um you know, me and Ricky have walked through a lot. Like we have had um ten years of longer than that. Yeah. You know, the thing I'm thinking is so the word I'm thinking is culture here, and that's not like a great advert uh, like adjective, but Ricky, I feel like I've watched you over the last ten years um come to terms with who you are. Uh, in the most beautiful kind of way um, for me. Okay. So for me, you're the picture of badly broken, deeply loved, right? Um, because you've faced all this stuff and there were, there were, you know, one of the things that's hard to um, conceive of, I guess, if you weren't here at the beginning was how hard it was to forge trust between us, like deep practical trust. As far as like get up and preach on Sunday, who cares? That's easy. You know, they're like, li- they listen to the, the internet preachers anyway, right? That That's easy. But the leadership stuff, right? Like when I just go, no, I know we've always done it that way, but we're going to do it different now. Uh, there wasn't a lot of trust and there was a lot of pushback. Um, I was not nearly so polished <laughs> then as kind of as I am now, right? <laughs> yeah. More like, more like a sledgehammer or whatever. And so I, I, I think I caused some hurts and some wounds and Ricky, you trusted me enough to say the hard things to say, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm wounded and, or, or that hurt, or I don't like that or, or whatever it is. And we worked through it. You gave me the trust to not hold, keep holding that against me. That's why I say friend. And it's different from Jamie. Um, but so when I said culture, because what I mean now is like, I see you doing all of those things with other people that you and I did six years ago, right. And, right. and five years ago and, um, multiplication and how there's, there's so many people in the, in the tech booth that I see. So you're like multiplying ministry and you're leading people and you're praying for people and you're, and you're just doing all of these cultural things that I look at that make me just go, man, if that's what God is doing at river city, I am, I'm good with that. That's, that's what I want to see. Is that more than one word? Well, thank you. Um, thank you. So now that we've touched on all the staff and the, the, words and the Jason words and whatnot. Um, I truly need one word answers for the rest. This is how we're going to close. Okay. And this is how we're going to close every um, podcast. Um, favorite movie. Goodwill hunting. Little women. Favorite food. 
Pizza. Check. Sandwiches. Uh, Italian. Favorite car. Favorite car that I have or favorite car that I want? Favorite car. Range Rover. Land Rover, Range Rover. Nice. Um, I don't have it. Um, a, a Honda Odyssey. <laughs> the, oh my gosh. Wow. The Bob, the Bob van. Such a good car. Favorite vacation location. Mountains. New York City. Favorite shoes. Flip-flops. Birkenstocks. Favorite drink. Tobo Chico. Iced tea. Favorite animal. Remus. Dog. Visla. Natalie doesn't like animals. <laughs> I, do, I do like animals, but I don't have a favorite one because then I don't, you don't, I don't like love animals. them like he does. All righty. Well, that's going to wrap up this uh, podcast with Jason and Ellie. Um, stay tuned for a part two. There's a lot more, of course, to discuss about the future of River City um, and our potential new home and what that's going to look like and then ministry going forward. But uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, if you are looking to reach out to Jason and Natalie, you can go to our website, www.rcmb.org, and you can send them an email um, from there. And we will catch you on the flip side. <laughs>